Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio, show number 472 um, and our last uh, radio show of 2022. And today's topic is described as leader lift uh, and the promise is that you will over the next 30 minutes learn how to transform your influence in every situation. Um, I'm today's host Joe Moffitt um, and I'm very pleased to welcome um, our special guest today Richard Newman. Uh, a little bit more about Richard in a moment. Um, so uh, for those who are less than familiar with who engage for success is uh, we are a not-for-profit social movement and Engage for Success is the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. Uh, do visit our website at engageforsuccess.org where you can learn more, uh, where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, and where you can find out more about getting involved with the movement because we are entirely dependent upon volunteers uh, to keep the energy flowing. Um, and I'm one of those. I'm Jo Moffitt. Um, I'm one of the regular hosts. Um, and my day job, um, alongside volunteering for Engage for Success, my day job is, as man is managing director and founder of Woodread. Uh, Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques, and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. So, to today's guest, um, Richard Newman. Uh, Richard is founder and CEO of Body Talk. Body Talk are global leaders in evidence-based communication training. Um, and since 2000, Richard and his team have trained uh, upwards of 100,000 people worldwide um, across 46 countries. So we were talking before we came on air um, about the, the impact of the pandemic on, on that business. Um, and Richard was, um, was telling me um, about the sort of scale of the work he does, which I, I have to say I found quite breathtaking. So uh, welcome to the show, Richard. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate you having me here. Looking forward to talking to you. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more um, about what you describe as your one secret that uh, can transform your influence or our influence in every situation so that we can better inspire, motivate and lead people. And I'm guessing, um, though you work very much with senior leadership teams, um, you very much, uh, these, these are transferable and translatable for anyone who has responsibility for teams and responsibility for people, I'm, I'm guessing. So we'll hear a little bit more about that in a moment. But perhaps, Richard, we could kick off. Can you just, just give us a little bit of a kind of potted bio of, of yourself, you know, who you are, where you came from, what, you know, how you got to do what you're doing now? Sure. So, I mean, I've been working in the area of communication now for many decades, and it all started for me when I was back at school. I realized that I was struggling to communicate with people, and I didn't really know why at the time. Uh, I, I, I realized that I was shy. I picked up that I was an introvert, but there was other things holding me back I wasn't really aware of. And uh, it was something that soon became clear to me that communication was going to be 
uh, pivotal as a skill for me, but also for other people for their success. There was a friend of mine who is a brilliant guy, very hardworking and uh, very well read. And he wanted to go to Oxbridge, so Oxford or Cambridge, in order to sort of go into higher education. That had always been his dream. And he went for an interview at Oxford University. He passed the entrance exam. And uh, a few weeks later, he got a rejection letter, which said that clearly he was very hardworking, very bright, but he just simply lacked the communication skills that they were looking for in the interview and they weren't going to offer him a place. And it really hit me that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how hard I could work, it didn't matter how much I knew or how high achieving I was academically that I could fail in life if I hadn't got good communication skills. And so that was an area that I decided I wanted to work on. And so instead of going off to university, instead of going off into a career as many other people did, I decided I would work on those skills and also to do something to give something back to the world because I'd grown up in a quite a sort of affluent uh, upbringing. And so I applied to go and work in India in a Tibetan monastery which was uh, up in the, uh, the foothills of the Himalayas, up in an area called Kalimpong, which is just near Darjeeling, uh-huh. up in northeast India. And I was living right. these months uh, where I was teaching them uh, English. And the big challenge being when I got there, they didn't speak a single word of English at all. They spoke Tibetan, Nepali, and Hindi. And I spoke a bit of French and a bit of German. But between us, we didn't have any common language. And so <laughs> I had to um, figure out, well, how am I going to communicate with them And I quickly realized that through body language and tone of voice, I could be understood by them. And then I uh, worked on that over the course of six months of living with them. And this is back in the days before the Internet. You know, we barely had electricity. We barely had a working phone. I was very much cut off working with them. And by the end of the six months, they could then have a good conversation with me in English, which I've achieved through the power of body language, tone, but also congruency through communication. How how old were you, Richard? How old were you at at this time? I was just 18 at the time. I'd never been on a holiday without my parents at this point. I'd never been overseas without my parents and found myself off doing this. And I'm forever grateful that my parents sort of gave me the support uh, that I needed to go off and have this experience. And then came back to the UK after that. I then studied acting for three years at a London acting school where I learned more about stage presence and storytelling mm-hmm. skills that would become important mm-hmm. in my career. And then my, uh, yeah, you're right to say earlier, you said I'm sure that these skills uh, around communication are relevant for everyone. My career actually started in teaching these by working with a group of hairdressers in a London hair salon where my, uh, my hairdresser, he was hearing about my interests around body language and teaching and acting. And he said, if I gave you a free haircut today, would you teach my hairdressers how to communicate? And I said, I don't know how, how to do that. I have no idea what you mean. And he said, no, no, you'll, you'll figure it out. And so I, uh, I went to work with them. I did a couple of hours. And they loved it. And they said, come back and do more. And pretty soon through word of mouth, I had people calling me saying, hey, I've just had a haircut today. And I've heard you're this communication expert. Could you come and work with my company? And uh, the company just kept on growing from that position to the point where, as you mentioned, we've now trained over 100,000 people all over the world. I've got this team of dozens of people working with me. And it's all, it's all focused around that core area, which I've always been passionate about, which is communication. Goodness, so that, that, that's fascinating. And we were, again, we were talking before we came on air about the power of storytelling, and I know we're going to come on to talk about that as part of your sort of approach in, in a moment. But I mean, my goodness, what a story you've got to tell, and, and you've sort of, <laughs> you know, practicing what you preach for sure. I can't believe you telling telling us at the start of that story though that you were a bit of an introvert at school. I mean, this doesn't sound like yeah. an introvert's behaviour to me. 
Yeah, and I'm always keen to sort of dispel this myth for people who come on my training courses too, because I sometimes get people who show up to a workshop saying, look, there's no point you working with me around communication because I'm shy, I'm an introvert. And I say to them, look, I'm shy. I, I was always shy growing up. I, I've, been, uh, I've gone through so many different uh, sort of uh, profiling tests and so on, which show that I'm as high a level of an introvert on the scale from introvert to extrovert as you can get. Uh, and so I, I very much get my energy restored by being alone is the way that I see it, rather than being on the extrovert side. Um, but above and beyond that, I was uh, also diagnosed earlier this year as being autistic, which suddenly made sense of decades worth of trying to figure out communication and wondering why is it I'm struggling in a way that other people don't seem to be? Like, what is that? What's the missing component that, like, everybody else seems to be getting up to speed with this quicker than I am? And so I suddenly realized that I've been looking at communication from a completely different lens to everybody else uh, for all this time. But what that gave me is actually a huge advantage to see communication as an outsider, to be really observing almost, I would say, through a glass bubble feeling of being on the outside, looking in at how everybody else is communicating and trying to figure out how are they doing this? What's working for them? What's not working? And what could I emulate? And how could I refine that for myself? And then how could I teach that to other people to help their communication? And so, uh, yeah, so when, whenever somebody comes to a training course of mine saying, oh, well, I'm just not a good communicator, you know, I'm shy, I'm an introvert, or there's other challenges, uh, I, I love to be able to say to them, look, it's all teachable, all stuff that you can learn. Human beings are born to speak. We're born to communicate and connect with very social animals. And if you tap into the instincts that are in there and you learn certain skills and strategies, you can build up a phenomenal toolkit of communication skills that you can use every day. Yeah, fascinating. You know, it's really interesting you should you should talk about that kind of late in life diagnosis of neurodivergency, you know, some kind of mm. some kind of difference. Um being but being diagnosed later in life and, and, yeah. and seeing that as a real advantage to you actually. And mm. and realising suddenly everything makes sense. Uh, because yeah. I've I've come across a couple of, of contacts and friends in the last sort of 18 months or so who have who've had a similar sort of thing happen to them um not with autism but with late diagnosis adhd um mm. and said, suddenly everything in my life that i used to think was a challenge now makes sense and actually i'm seeing this as a real plus and a real positive mm. so really interesting isn't it that that, that that's um, you, you should see that and as you say it gives you a it's almost like the rest of the world is in a micro, um, in a laboratory is it a bit like you know, <laughs> where the other people are a, are a social experiment or a, a laboratory experiment and you can sort of see them enacting and understand the how and the why and apply your expertise through that lens yeah I think that's very much it and I think um, you know I, I would encourage everyone to embrace the neurodiversity in every kind of organization and if you feel like there might be something that you want to get uh, checked out for yourself and go and get a diagnosis I'd encourage people to do that because for me it was a huge revelation and it was a way of better understanding uh, myself but yeah like you say because I decided I was absolutely going to dedicate my life around the subject of communication the more that I studied it the more fascinated I got by it and it was this brilliant opportunity to see communication from a perspective that most people don't see it from so neurotypical people have this way of communicating with each other that feels somewhat alien to me but I'm able to observe that with a uh, you know, different lens and, uh, and understand it. And one of the examples I give to help people understand this is I say, you know, banter, for example, 
was a complete mystery to me for a long time because banter to me looks like two people insulting each other, laughing in each other's faces and suddenly having a better friendship as a result, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And when I tried to copy it, I would then find people getting really insulted, walking away, not wanting to spend time with me. And I thought, well, that, that's, that's actually giving the opposite outcome to what other people had. So what is it that I'm not doing that they were doing? And the more that I looked at it, the more I realized that there was this one simple ingredient that we now teach people as you know, central force behind communication, which I call lift, which is that when you, when you have banter with somebody else, there is one goal, which is to lift the state of the other person. So you're lifting them from a negative or a neutral state to a positive or a more positive state. That's what you're aiming to do. And so everything in your tone of voice, your choice of words, uh, how you engage with them back and forth, is all about lifting them through that banter. And that was the bit that I didn't understand, uh, that suddenly when I applied it, I thought, oh, I can now do banter. But you can also do that when you are, say, if you're giving a speech on stage, and you're feeling super self-conscious about it before you're going, going on, and you're feeling nervous, and you're not sure what to say, if you suddenly apply this through the lens of lift, you can think, well, actually, there's no need to be self-conscious. I'm focusing on lifting the audience. It's not about focusing on me. It's focusing on them. So the focus goes outwards rather than inwards. And you know that whatever you happen to say and whatever slides you happen to want to share with people, there is one goal, which is that by the end of that communication, they will feel lifted by you. They will feel lifted by the interaction with you. And providing you have achieved that, then you have been an effective communicator. And so that's what we teach people to do through storytelling, whether it's slide design, if you want to have effective questioning skills, listening skills, conflict resolution, all of these things we teach people around that central component of lift being the attention. And suddenly you're focusing outwards and being much more able to engage people effectively. Okay. Okay. Well, let, let's look. I want to explore that in a moment, and I know that you've, um, you've written a book called Lift Your Impact, How to Transform Your Mindset, Influence, and Future, which is going to be the model for our conversation um, for the rest of this um, show. But, but before we do that, I, I, I think I'd love to just explore this concept of banter a little bit more, um, because I think it's probably, um, would you, it, it, I just want to kind of dispel something, I think, if I may, which is that mm. often people excuse bad behavior in the workplace or bad mm-hmm. uh, abusive behavior, bullying, um, exclusion, all kinds of things as, oh, it was just banter. And, mm. and I, I think that would clearly, that situation would have the complete opposite, wouldn't it, to lifting something exactly. up. But in fact, what that does is crush them down. Um, yeah. So I think, I just wondered if you, you'd sort of, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think that yeah. you know, quarter communication, quarter human interaction is what is your intention really towards this person? If your intention is, is good natured, it's not actually enough just to think, okay, well, you know, I, I want them, want them to feel good about this. There needs to be, you know, understanding around things. You need to be, um, sensitive to what is important to other people. All of those things need to be applied to a situation and it can never be used as an excuse of, oh, well, that was just uh, banter. And so instead, you've got to think about going into different situations, whatever it might be, with a thoroughly good intention of uh, lifting the state of the other person, but also being mindful of, well, what are the things that you might say 
or you might do that would destroy the impact, even if you're intending to do good? You know, what are the things that you need to be aware of as you go into the interaction to make sure that your words and your actions are going to lift that person? And that should always be what we're heading for. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. I think that's really, that's really important. So, so your, your book talks about lifting your impact and transforming your mindset, transforming your influence, um, and transforming your future. So um, mm. I wonder whether we can sort of take each of those, I don't know whether we take each of those in turn or whether we walk through them in, 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 in a different way, but um, can, we, can we tell us a little bit more about those? Perhaps um, you've explained what lift is, I think, unless there's anything more that you, you feel you want to add to that. Um, but how, you, how does one go about lifting one's mindset? So this is something that has been so important for clients for the last couple of years especially. So lifting your mindset is something that we were training people on before the pandemic, and it was an occasional request that would come up, sort of a nice to have in addition to the regular daily business needs. And since the beginning of the pandemic, I think that all employers, or many employers certainly, have embraced the idea that looking after the, uh, the well-being of the people on their team is absolutely critical. It should be a fundamental part of what we do in business. And so we've had much greater requests around working on mindset. And it was certainly something for me as well that I had to work on, where you know, I'm running a business that I've been running for decades that suddenly, you know, this is a business in 2019 where 70% of our work involved getting on an aeroplane, not just being in person with people, but getting on an aeroplane to go and work with people overseas. And all mm-hmm. of our work involved being in person. And then suddenly we got to a point where you're, you, it was banned getting on a, on a flight. It was banned to be in person with people. And suddenly all of the bookings that we had in our calendar in, from March 2020 onwards had disappeared. And we had lots of people on the payroll and a fancy, expensive uh, London office. And we really had to figure out, well, what are we going to do next to, to keep things going? And so something that I was doing for myself, as well as doing for my team and, and particularly for the clients at that point, was to work on mindset. And this is getting to a point where everything for me in terms of the impact that you have day after day starts off with mindset. And you can think about this as a ripple effect going outwards to the ultimate impact that you have and the legacy that you leave after yourself is that the rock that falls in the pond to begin with is your mindset. And that is what's going to send out ripples afterwards. No matter what you do in terms of, you know, having good communication and uh, sort of memos that you send out and actions that you take, it all comes from the mindset that you have to begin with. And so we've worked with people on making sure that they can feel like they're able to be the rock in the storm so that no matter what else is going on around them, they're able to come back to a really strong mindset uh, such that they are able to lift themselves. And once you've lifted yourself, you're then able to go out into the world and lift others. There's no point as a leader, particularly in business, going out when you're feeling depleted, aiming to look after others because they will sense that depletion from you and it's not going to have a positive effect. So I like to start each day, certainly each working day, uh, by making sure that I'm lifting myself first thing in the morning so that I'm able then to show up to each and every interaction as a lifted version of myself because from there I'm better able to influence people and then to change the, the future for my team, for my business, so that the ripple effect goes outwards from that place. And, and is, there a, is there a simple, I mean, clearly, you know, I know that, that this is a whole, a whole practice of what you will talk about, and we've only got a small, tiny, you know, tiny number of minutes, really, to, to cover it. But, I mean, are there some simple things that people can do to lift their mindset at the start? of? I mean, it, clearly, the start of the day is when you should do it, because it sets you up for the mm. day. I mean, is it, is, it, is 
it as simple as giving yourself a stiff talking to, or is there something a little bit more <laughs> structured than that? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm happy to give like a short summary on this because what I like to do with clients is get them to the place where in the first 60 seconds of the day, they've lifted their mindset. And the way that we do this is to work initially around their internal values and the values being, because values are sort of talked about a lot in business, but then they sort of, they tend to be chipped into marble and put in the foyer of the headquarters and nobody can even remember what the values are. So I think about values in a different way, that it's the core driving principles that you stand for. So, so if you think about it this way, when you've got an important decision to make in your life, what are the principles that will drive your decisions? And often one way that people can think about this is think about something that you want. What boundaries are you not willing to break in order to get that? So say, for example, in business, people often set financial targets. So let's say, okay, you want to make a million dollars or you want to make a hundred million dollars turnover. What boundaries are you not willing to break in order to get there? And that will often instantly guide you towards your values, which might be, in that case, might be honesty, integrity, care of people, that sort of thing. And so I get people to work on this uh, to get to a place where they are really clear, not just on their business's values, but their personal driving principles that come from uh, all sorts of life experience that, the, that then lead them to know that if I live my life based on my values, no matter what else happens, I will feel proud of myself when I put my head down at night. And so I get people to think this through. And this is also really nicely proven through the triosocial stress test that was done by David Cresswell and David Sherman back a, a few years ago, where they showed that when people focus on their values and they're really clear about why those values matter to them, they achieve something called internal validation, which means that, you know, if you think about what we do day after day, we will go into a meeting and hope that we make a good impression or we post something on social media and hope that it gets a good response. And continuously, we're bouncing around like a pinball in external validation pinball machine, hoping that people will give us some sort of validation. It's highly stressful. Whereas if you start the day from internal validation, you think these are the principles that I want to live by. This is the core of who I am and I'm going to live my life from this place. You can immediately feel proud of yourself about who you are, and then you can live from there, and that then therefore gives you a guide around your mindset for the rest of the day. So it's a nice, simple way that people can work on this, and you can, you can connect to them at the beginning of the day in just a couple of minutes. Okay, got you. Um, I'm going to have to move on because we, we've got um, – we're moving closer to 6 o'clock. So, um, so that's fascinating, and I feel we could talk about that for an entire show in and of its own self. But um, – so let's let's talk about influence, and I think there's sort of from a, your communication perspective and that communication expertise. How can a leader increase their influence? So the fastest way to, for anyone to influence somebody else is to understand what is it that already influences them. So if you think about a brand that if they want to sell products to a certain um, part of the market, they'll think, well, who are those people influenced by? Well, they like this celebrity, therefore we'll get the celebrity to endorse our brand and therefore we have influence. But if you think about that from a day-to-day -day perspective as a leader or just as a communicator, the fastest way to influence other human beings is through storytelling because stories has, have influenced our behavior since we were born. They've been influencing human behavior for thousands of years. And you can see this through the research that if you go back to the, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, created thousands of years ago, it had the same structure that was being used 1,500 years later by the ancient Greeks and the same structure of storytelling being used 1,500 years later by Shakespeare. But we didn't actually discover or uncover the Epic of Gilgamesh until after Shakespeare had died. And what this information tells us 
is simply that the way that human beings around the world from different civilizations that never met each other, they were telling stories in a way that uh, had the same structure because that's the structure that utterly compels people to listen. And we use stories all day, every day to make sense of our environment. When, when, when you say to someone, hey, how was your day? They don't say to you, well, this morning I woke up at uh, 7.08 a.m. I put my right foot on the floor, then my left foot and took 17 paces towards the kitchen. They don't give you a, a sort of point by point retelling of things. They tell you a story. They say, ah, oh, this morning I woke up, I was a bit groggy and then I, I, I fell over something on the way to make my coffee. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a terrible day. And you know what? It was. And they create this story around things. So if you understand that people are telling each other stories, they're telling themselves stories all day long. And you understand what those stories are and what that structure is. Then every time you go into a meeting, whether it's a one-to-one feedback session with somebody from your team or you're pitching to your most important potential client, if you use the power of storytelling around the structure of your words, then you can instantly increase your influence. And, you know, we coach people to do this, to go through challenging meetings, challenging conversations, and also to help people pitch and win contracts worth hundreds of millions of pounds at a time because it's taking any information and putting it into a structure that it makes sure that it's uh, completely engaging the human mind, whoever you happen to be speaking to and giving them information that they want in a certain order. So you get that payoff of them being engaging with your information from start to finish. So that storytelling is fundamental and other parts just to mention briefly that are critical behind this is you, the storyteller, making sure that your body language and tone of voice are engaging and bringing that story to life in a way that's meaningful, whether you are virtual with someone or you're just listening to their voice or you are physically in person uh, with them. And the other piece that we uh, like to work on with people is brilliant questioning and listening skills that help you understand the stories that are important to other people. Because the only way to really understand what story people need from you is to ask them questions that help you understand what's meaningful for them and to take that information and replay it in the form of a story that helps them go from where you are to where you'd like to be. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, would you say there's a particular um, percentage in, a, in an interaction if you're going to influence somebody, you, you should be um, talking for 20% of the time and listening for 80 I mean, I've made that up, Richard, but, you know, it, it, what's more important, listening or talking? Yeah, great question. I'd certainly say from a first interaction, let's say you're going to meet a client for the first time, then 2080 is exactly uh, the right way to go because you want them to feel like their story has been heard. When you're then coming back and, say, doing a final pitch, you might find that it goes the other way because you are then retelling the story that they have already told you to show that you've understood it and you've taken it to the next level. So it really depends on the situation. We also talk about that from a conflict resolution perspective, that you want to have that 2080 principle because you want to let the other person feel that they've been deeply heard, deeply listened to. And there's great sort of scientific evidence around this that when people feel listened to, then you don't actually have to agree with them. You don't have to go along with everything that that um, the difficult employee wants in terms of uh, things they're aiming to get from you. As long as they feel heard by you, as long as they feel connected with you and that you care about what is important to them, then you can find a way forward that might be what they wanted, might be what you wanted. It might be a compromise somewhere in between. Uh, But certainly you should think about what is this interaction really for? Is it for them to be heard or do I now deeply understand them enough that I can share information and get some participation from them? 
Interesting. I mean, regular listeners of, of our show and also, you know, people who follow us on engagetosuccess.org will know about um, the four enablers of engagement. And one of those, um, as well as uh, leaders being able to tell a, a strong story about the organization, where it's come from, where it's going, where it's going, which plays to your storytelling point. Um, the other one, one of the others is about employee voice, listening to employee voice, recognizing that um, mm. Very often, our employees have the ideas, the creativity, the innovation, the solutions to some of the business problems um, and need to feel listened to and will be much more engaged in the mutual shared purpose of where you're, what you're trying to achieve if they feel that they are listened to. So um, yeah. that certainly plays to that, doesn't it? We've got two minutes left, Richard, um, and this is sort of romped on a bit of a pace. Um, so um, let's just finish up, if we may, with um, the future. How do mm. we uh, transform the future that is awaiting us? Um, give us a yeah. bit of an insight into that, if you would. So, so very briefly, there's two major areas that I like to work on with people that can transform the future. That have certainly helped me in being, you know, leading my business, growing my business over the last couple of decades, and that we've helped other leaders do as well. So the two areas to look at is pivotal events and pedestrian events. So I tend to find that people focus on one or the other, and you really need to focus on both if you're going to uh, lift your impact long term. So pivotal events would be what is something that if, if you manage to put this together, if you manage to succeed in that event, would uh, put you up to the next level. So a pivotal event could be anything ranging from uh, getting a promotion to, if you're an author, getting your book endorsed by Oprah and anything in between there. It's a pivotal event that you'll look back on and think that's something that took me to the next level of my life and a greater level of impact that I can have on people around me. Uh, and pedestrian events are the things that you're doing day after day to really earn the opportunity for those pivotal events. And so I tend to find that people fall into two categories. So some people are all about the pivotal events, and that's the only thing that they're really interested in focusing on, which can feel a bit like just buying a lottery ticket and hoping for the best, hoping those moments will happen. Right. I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it, but they, they should earn those moments and work towards them and know that that's something that they're building towards. You also get some people who never look at pivotal events and can be hustling and grinding day after day for countless hours and gradually get very small incremental growth forwards. But because they're not really thinking about what a pivotal event would be, they're doing the day-to-day -day pedestrian events and not making as much success as possible. Right. And I always say to people, you've got to make the balance, sure. Then. Exactly. You've got to have both. Mm, lovely. What a way to conclude. Thank you very much, um, Richard Newman, CEO of Body Talk, for joining us today. Thank you, uh, too, for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Um, this is our last show, as I said, till 2023. Um, the next show is on the 9th of January, but if you can't wait, don't forget you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. Just visit engageforsuccess.org. Um, so that um, is it for 2022. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Richard Newman, and thank you and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.